We'll now turn our attention to hear the reading and the preaching of God's word. So let's listen to the word of God read by Shen. Today's reading comes from Mark 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we begin, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we learn today of a woman and a man. The man's name is Jairus, and the name means God enlightens, and I think it's fitting for us as we pray before we hear your word. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us minds to perceive, enlighten us, Lord, to see Jesus clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is there hope This was the burning question five years ago for my 23-year-old patient. We'll call her Angela. EMS picked her up after she blacked out suddenly while on the phone with her dad that day. When she came to the hospital, her first brain scan revealed an invasive brain tumor that needed immediate operation. My job that day was to do her second brain scan for preoperative planning. 
coming to the side of her stretcher and calling her name, Angela suddenly grabbed my arm, and with desperate, pale blue eyes, she said, No one will answer me. Is there hope for me? As we pondered and talked about her question, what it revealed was that her life offered many reasons for hope. The only problem was that none of these things seemed adequate in her darkest day of suffering. She had a deeper question beneath her question. The, the real question facing her wasn't, is there hope, but where do I find true, lasting hope in the dark day of suffering? See, we live in a world filled with suffering. 2020 has shown us this. And whether you're a Christian or a skeptic, this is the question you will find yourself asking when you've been cut by the scalpel of grief or when you come toe-to-toe with suffering. Where do I find true, lasting hope in the dark day of suffering? Mark's gospel answers this question by telling us where to go. Mark tells us to go to God. Revealing himself to be the Lord of our pain and suffering, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43 shows us that Jesus is where our everlasting hope is found. He shows us this in two ways. Firstly, through the scope of Jesus' love, and secondly, through the depths of his deliverance. We have two points today. The first point is the scope of Jesus' love, and the second is the depths of his deliverance. Firstly, the scope of Jesus' love. In today's text, we come face to face with two people who have walked in a sea of suffering. The the first is a synagogue ruler named Jairus. He's faced with unimaginable acute pain, the, the pain of having to watch his precious little girl slowly die. Pride and dignity cast aside. He cries, come, my daughter is about to die. Maybe you can relate. Perhaps you've had to watch someone you love die recently. Perhaps it was an unexpected phone call and diagnosis you got this past week. Maybe it's not health-related, but you received some devastating news. The second person we meet is a mysterious woman. She's known nothing but chronic suffering for an unrelenting 12 years. The the Bible tells us in verse 25 that she's been bleeding for over a decade and spending all that she had in hopes of being made well. The results of her appointments are nothing but disappointments. What's more sorrowful is that by Old Testament standards, because of her condition, she's considered ceremonially unclean and untouchable of society. Anyone who makes physical contact with her also becomes unclean. The result? Her condition has forced her into the shadows of of society. She's unwanted. She's become invisible. We don't even get to know her name. Maybe this is your story. Silently suffering in the shadows of your pain, you feel alone, rejected. Maybe you're sick and you've tried all the medications and you've seen all the doctors. you spent thousands of dollars and thousands of hours and options that have left you feeling no better. Maybe it's your mental health, your physical health, 
depression, cancer, infertility, loneliness, discontentment, marital strife. You fill in the blank. As we sit with Jairus and this mysterious woman, most of us can relate to them. Like them, we sat with grief and we drank with sorrow. And what God wants you to hear today, what he wants you to hear is that whether it's unimaginable pain or unrelenting suffering, there's hope. And Jesus shows us hope as we see the scope of his love. Commentators can't help but notice Jesus' stunning response to Jairus and the woman. Let's look at Jairus first. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You've, You've just gotten off your boat. You can smell the salty sea air as it mixes with the smell and sound of a loud and rowdy crowd. People are shoulder to shoulder as they press against you. And out of nowhere, a man falls before you, begging you for help. What would you do? Think about it for a second. What would you do? Commentators are struck because they see Jesus doing something different from what you and I would probably do. Christina Hallett, a clinical psychologist and director of clinical training at Bay Path University, notes the human natural response to suffering. When confronted with suffering, most of us would respond with comments like, think positively. I think I heard this about four times in my last shift at the hospital. Think positively. If you think positively, you'll be okay. Everything will work itself out. Others like to give advice. Have you, have you tried this before? I think this remedy is a good one. You should try this. Others discount people's feelings. We say things like, you'll get over it eventually. Others trump people's pain. I've been through something similar. This is what worked for me. Lastly, some of us diminish people's pain. I think this is the one I've heard most in this COVID era. You're not the only one going through hard times. Everybody's in the same boat. While our intentions may be good, you might notice that these responses aren't adequate because they only skim the surface of suffering. Let's look at Jesus' response in contrast. Hearing all that he needed to hear, Jesus takes the time to fully enter into the silent places of Jairus' suffering, placing one foot in front of the other in in great compassion. Side by side, he enters into Jairus' world of suffering as they make their way to his home. The words he entered in verse 39 highlights the scope of his love as he doesn't just give inadequate words of comfort, but he drives into the depths of Jairus' pain. He entered, says the scriptures. Let's look at the women. We see something equally striking. Though Jesus could have dismissed the woman and and let her slip away into the crowd as she intended to, Jesus stops to turn around and to ask, Who touched me? Who touched me? Why? wanting to fully submerge himself into a silent world of pain and to display the scope of his love, Jesus delays the urgent work of saving Jairus' daughter to address this no-name woman. Consider the implications. 
Are you someone who thinks your problems are too small or unimportant to bring to Jesus? Maybe you're too ashamed, or maybe you think he just doesn't care. Maybe you're a new parent, a lonely man or woman wrestling with their singleness. Whatever it may be, whoever you are, what does Jesus' actions show you here? That's right. He cares. Delaying the big thing for the seemingly small thing, the very important person for the not-so-seemingly important person, Jesus stops for the woman, and he'll stop for you. He'll stop for you. And this is the scope of his love for you. So application number one, go to him. Go to him. Whether it's unrelenting pain or unimaginable suffering, go to Jesus because he cares for you. Jesus shows us that hope is found in him by revealing to us the stunning scope of his love for us. And it doesn't stop there, no. Jesus reveals to us that hope is found in him by showing us also the depths of his deliverance. This is our second point, the depths of his deliverance. Here, Jesus reveals that he is not only after our partial deliverance, but rather he's after our complete, our whole and full deliverance. With the mysterious woman, remember what we said, that the woman's position in society is one where she is an outcast by Old Testament standards. You might think that's primitive, but actually it's not. We kind of get this. Imagine you have a friend who's contracted COVID, and imagine that friend came to you knocking on your door, asking to come in. They've got a headache, they've got a fever, a runny nose, the whole shebang. What would you say to that person? You'd probably be like, "Eh, no, like, go home, stay home, maybe come back after your symptoms have passed, Get a negative COVID test, and actually, let's wait till the Pfizer vaccine, vaccine comes up first. We'd decline. We'd reject that person. For the woman here in our passage, this was her life for 10 years. Over 10 years, 12 years, she was pushed away, rejected by everyone. Not only is she feeling crummy physically, but imagine the emotional, social, mental, spiritual scars she carries. It's beyond heartbreaking. Yet in His desire to deliver this woman completely, Jesus, in verse 34, speaks to her. With glorious compassion and radiant kindness, Jesus delivers her wholly and fully as he speaks mind-renewing, heart-refreshing, soul-liberating words of grace. Daughter, your faith has healed you, has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? There's three things. He's naming her, he's blessing her, and then he assures her. Speaking into her web of suffering, Jesus first names the woman when he calls her daughter. By naming her, commentators believe that Jesus is restoring her socially. 
As she's outcasted as an untouchable of society, Jesus draws the attention to this invisible woman. All eyes are on her for the first time in 12 years. By declaring her daughter, Jesus is saying in front of everyone, I see you. I acknowledge you. And I welcome you as one who belongs. Naming her, Jesus heals her socially. In, in saying, go in peace, Jesus blesses her. And Jesus' declaration of peace is a statement of restoration for her emotionally. Fear will no longer be her master. She will no longer have to hide in the shadows of her silent pain. She no longer needs to fall at the feet of anyone. But as a human full of dignity and beauty, she's welcomed into the light of day. Naming her, he's healed her socially. Blessing her, he's healed her emotionally. Assuring her, when he says, be healed of your disease, Jesus heals her mentally. See, unlike the treatments of the day, unlike the treatments of the past, which ended in disappointments, this encounter with Jesus will be different. She no longer needs to look back and wonder if her disease will return if her social and emotional nightmare will have to be relived. No, no. She's free. Jesus has delivered her physically, socially, emotionally, mentally. And lastly, he's going to deliver her spiritually. When Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace and be healed of your disease, scholars are convinced that Jesus' reference to the woman's faith signifies a change in the woman's spiritual status and standing before God. Labeled unclean, this woman is ultimately unclean before God. She's at odds with God. And yet Jesus declares your faith, by faith, you are healed. The word healed can be translated in the Greek also as saved. It's another hint that there is something spiritual happening. Cleansed and healed, Jesus is saying, I declare peace between you and God. In other words, holy and fully, I restore you. Physical, emotional, social, mental, spiritual. Do you see the depths of his deliverance? It's stunning. It's mind-bending. And if it isn't enough to convince you to go to God, see what happens next. After stopping for the woman, we find out that Jairus' daughter has died. Some readers are skeptical about this claim, something that the girl didn't actually die. She was just in a coma. But if you read Luke chapter 8, Luke, who's a doctor, so he would know, he actually confirms in his account of this gospel story that this girl was dead. She was pulseless. She was dead. End of story. And in fact, everyone thought it really was the end of the story. The tyrant named Death had spoken. The girl had died. Jesus is too late. So everyone thought What could Jesus possibly do in this moment? Answer? He speaks. 
three times, Jesus gives Jairus words of hope. Emily Dickinson, the famous American poet, once wrote, Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings a tune without words and never stops at all. Jesus' words in verse 36, do not fear, only believe in his word. In verse 39, the child is not dead but asleep. Our words with feathers that perches in the soul and sings a tune without words and never stops. Imagine the spark of hope that inflamed Jairus' heart and his soul as he heard these words. She is dead. Are you able to reverse the irreversible, Jesus? Are you able to save even the dead? Verse 41, Jesus says yes when he says, Talitha kumi, I say to you, little girl, rise. And just like that, by the word of his power, breath fills her lung. Her little dead heart beats again in unparalleled, unrivaled power, power. Jesus shows that the world, he shows the world that death doesn't have the final word. He does. See the depths of his deliverance. Overcoming the unrelenting and reversing the irreversible. Jesus shows us that true, lasting hope is found in him. Now, I'm not unaware of the tension that you're probably feeling in this text. See, in both cases, deliverance came shortly after meeting Jesus. And this isn't always the case for most of us. Sure, there are stories of miraculous healings, but it's not our common experience. So you might be wondering, why doesn't Jesus take away my suffering now? Why wait? Many have wrestled with the problem of pain, but have come up short in their explanation. And I don't think I can give you a deeply satisfactory answer. In fact, I think only God can answer that question. But that doesn't mean God is silent either. Mark Jones, a biblical scholar, once described Jesus' miracles as visible sermons that convey deep spiritual truths concerning the person and work of Jesus. And in other words, Jesus' work in Mark chapter 5 isn't an end in itself, but it's a foreshadow of the greater work of deliverance that he will do at the end of the age. A work where Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more. And neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. How can that be, you might ask? If it's not clear enough with his miracles, Jesus makes it clear for us as we look further down the road to when he goes to the cross. Enduring the scorn of man and the wrath of God, Jesus became a man of sorrow, well acquainted with grief. And going to the cross, he welcomed the worst that the world could throw at him, experiencing in his body both torment and suffering unimaginable. He endured so that he might not only sympathize with us, but that he also might show us who really is the Lord of suffering. Dying unto death, he died, but Jesus died to defeat death, and defeat it he did. 
declaring that the depths of the grave and all that is in between could not overcome the depths of his deliverance. Jesus, in glorious death-defying, miracle-working, resurrecting power, raised himself from the grave, declaring himself as the supreme Lord of the cosmos. Jesus reversed the irreversible. He canceled the power of pain. He silenced this thing of suffering forever so that he might have the final word at the end of the age. Christians, skeptics, Grace Toronto, Grace West, I want you to hear that there can be joy in suffering and pain. There can be hope if you go to Jesus. Remember Angela, the girl who grabbed my arm and asked, is there hope? That day was the worst day of her life. But that day was also the best day of her life. See, my hospital allows for us frontline workers to have spiritual conversations with patients if they bring it up. It was a new policy that they passed that year, a new initiative. So as Angela and I explored her fears and her suffering, the topic of God came up naturally. She had many questions and and many thoughts. And asking me about my faith, I, I was able to tell her about the gospel. I told her there's a God who loves her beyond what she dared to believe. And a God who can deliver to the uttermost. A God whose name is Jesus. Shortly after... Angela did something unexpected. She asked if I could pray with her. And what came after that was even more unexpected. As she prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me as though living you never existed. Forgive me as though you lived. Forgive me as I lived as though you never existed. For only coming when I need you most. Would you forgive me and come into my life? No one taught her how to pray that day. I didn't say anything. She started the prayer session. She just had a heart filled with hope. And that led her through. And that hope in Jesus carried her through the rest of her cancer journey. We might not have the answer to the problem of pain, But in Angela's case, the suffering gave rise to experiencing Jesus in a powerfully profound way. And I'm not suggesting that you don't take your prescribed medications or that you ignore wise medical counsel. If if I didn't believe in that stuff, I wouldn't have gone into the profession earlier in my career. But what I'm saying is if you want lasting hope, you need to go to Jesus. Christian skeptics, you need to go to Jesus. And if you have been going to Jesus, keep going to Jesus. Our best meds will only delay the inevitable. But if you want to rise in your suffering, if you want to rise in the final day, run to him. Trust in him. Go to him. Applications. This is our first application. Go to him. Go to him with the big things. Go to him with the small things. More clearly stated, go to him in faith. 
Jesus mentions, with, uh, mentions faith multiple times in our text. The, the clearest time is mentioned with the woman where he says, your faith has healed you. We see with Jairus, he says, only believe. Go to him in faith. What does that look like? Jairus and the woman show us. Look at how they put all their trust in Jesus with a humble heart. Notice how they don't go demanding from Jesus his services, much like how many people today like to demand services from their doctors, per se. Rather, recognizing that Jesus owes them nothing, they fall on their hands and their knees and they go with humility. Christians, skeptics, going to Jesus in faith means we go with a humble heart. Another thing it means is that we go with a pest-like persistence. I, I love this here. Look at Jesus' response starting in verse 35. Here we see a crowd say to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Why still bother? Or more literally translated, why, why annoy the teacher? Jesus' response in verse 36 is striking. When you look at the Greek, a more literal translation is refusing to listen Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. The phrase, refusing to listen. Jesus didn't care what people had to say about Jairus bothering him. He wanted Jairus to bug him, and he wants you, he wants you to bug him. Trusting in Jesus or going to Jesus in faith means we go to him with a humble heart, and a pest-like persistence. Our second application is to the Christians. Christians, though it's not the main point of the passage, Jesus does give us an example of compassion to follow. Jesus shows us how we should treat the suffering. In, in this text, there are two crowds. The first told Jairus to basically shut up, to stop bothering Jesus. The second are weeping in one moment and then laughing in the next. Commentators believe that the latter group are professional mourners, people who are paid to mourn the dead, people whose compassion only skim the surface. Christians, this is not us. Grace Toronto, Grace West, this should not be us. We are called to be different. Mourning with those who mourn, Romans 12, and praying for the sick, we listen genuinely to the needy and we enter into their pain so that we, like concierge of care, might bring the broken and the hurting to the feet to him who is able to truly heal. Who are the suffering around you, church? There are many. There are many. Is there someone you know who is grieving? Is there a struggling new mom in your community? A frustrated new father? a lonely neighbor, a small group member who's been wrestling with deep and dark sin. Jesus gives us an example of compassion to follow. So let us follow him. Our last application, our final application is rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. 
Because death has been defeated and suffering has been silenced. The power of pain has been crushed. Your darkest day and blackest night has an end in sight. And it ends with Jesus standing before you, crowned with glory, arms wide open, welcoming you into an age where there'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain and no more fear. Suffering and death will disappear. Let your heart sing, Christians, for this is the song and the age of our coming King. Rejoice. And skeptics, I want you to hear the solid, lasting joy awaits you. This hope awaits you if you would but go to Jesus in faith. Rejoice. Conclusion. The question we set out to answer today was not, is there hope? But where do we find true, lasting hope in our dark day of suffering? Our answer, true, lasting hope is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a living hope. Enlighten our eyes to see, like Jairus' name means. Give us eyes to turn to you. Help our feet to find our way to you. Help our hands come to grasp you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this point, we have a couple minutes, I think, for a few questions, and we have a, two questions. Great. So this is, a, this is good, because I don't know if I can answer all of them if there's 15, like Dan's session last, uh, last week. <laughs> Hi there. It says, uh, thank you for this great message. Much needed. Thank you for the encouragement. Uh, for people who struggle with chronic illness, it's so hard to always be hopeful and believe that Jesus cares for me. My question is, how do we go to Jesus and not let our hearts grow weary? Thank you for this question. And I am, as I read this, I can, I have faces coming to mind of people this past week who have asked me the exact same question going through some very hard things. Confessing the same thing. Excuse me. Um, In these dark and hard times, and in these dark days, and when our heart grows weary, we need to go back to the gospel, to the cross. If ever you're wondering whether God really cares, I always, for myself, I go to Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, how will he with him not freely give us all things? And the reason why I go there is because that text is an argument from the greater to the lesser, from the hard to the easy, from the insurmountable to the easily surmountable. And the argument goes like this. If God wouldn't spare his own son, which is an incomprehensible thing to imagine, as John Piper, a theologian, would say. It's an unbelievable thing. If God wouldn't spare his own son, and he did, he overcame that, how will he with him not freely give us all things? How will he not work at all for our good. Because of that argument, that logical argument, God giving up the hardest thing, he's like, I will give you this 
which is good for you. I will remind you daily that I've dealt with your biggest problem. And so these little things, you can come to me and I do care. And I will deal with them in the very end. The gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is run to your community. Uh, The community of God is a helpful group and a body to help us in these dark days of suffering. When we can't preach the gospel to ourselves, they can remind us. And oftentimes they can even help us shoulder the weight. They can bear the burdens with us as we bear our burdens. And so I would say go to Jesus and then go to his community who is called and who is willing and desirous to walk with you in your suffering. Okay, second question. Hi Kingsley, what was the purpose of making unclean? Uh, what was the purpose of the making unclean in the Old Testament, particularly women on their period or other sicknesses? It's not in their control. Why shun them? What is the significance of Talitha Kumi in, in, uh, in including the original language? Okay, uh, the second part, Talitha Kumi, uh, that is the Aramaic. So Mark, uh, the scholars believe that that is just Mark's way of showing the, um, how, how authentic his, his work is. Uh, it, it's just his style of, of, of recording the gospel accounts uh, to show validity. He, he doesn't just translate his account. He's actually using and reciting the words that were there. So it talks about his eyewitness uh, uh, account there. Um, um, and, and from Peter, which he received from Peter. Uh, the first part about what is the purpose of making people unclean, uh, and particularly women in their period, um, that goes back to the, the idea of blood, blood being sacred. Um, and uh, in, in, in Old Testament law, with blood specifically, um, it, it's, it's like the life source. And so with with the blood, you're not supposed to touch it with like animal sacrifices to begin with unless uh, you're a priest. And uh, with the women, as, as they are not the priest in this, in this culture, um, in, in this group, uh, this woman at least, uh, she is now deemed unclean as well. And last question. How can we see this lockdown as a grace from God with room for growth? As we trust in God in our suffering, how do we steer away from self-centeredness? Ooh, that's a good question. Thank you for this question. How can we see uh, this lockdown as a grace from God with room for growth? Um, I go to Genesis chapter 50 for this one. Uh, I don't actually know how God really does this. Um, but in Genesis, at the very end, Joseph, one of the guys there, he's sold into slavery by his brothers, his, uh, his, his ten brothers. And uh, in the end, what we see is Joseph comes to a place of power where he's actually able to save not just his brothers during a time of famine, but actually all of Egypt and all of Israel. And God took what was uh, intended for evil and what was bad, and he, he used it for good. And that's just the providence of God, that though we live in a broken world and there is evil and there is misfortune that happens, God in his sovereignty is able to take that and turn it for your good. And so uh, that is how I would answer that question. Uh, as we trust God in our suffering, how do we steer away from self-centeredness? Uh, I, I think the, uh, in, at that moment, I would, I, would, uh, I would recommend a practice that I like to call uh, Acts Prayer, uh, A-C-T-S. Uh, I think I spelled that right. Um, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. And in and, and your adoration, in your confession, in your thanksgiving, these things are very God-centered. And so while you're praying to God, you're, you're, you're talking to God, you're focusing your attention on God, and then only in the end do you make your supplications, your requests known to him. I think that's the best way to reorientate your heart uh, to, to, to be Godward instead of self-centered. 
Well, that's all the time we have for questions. I'm going to invite Jeff up here uh, to lead us into our time of reflection. And uh, Jeff, come on up.